Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was 9-11 uh, was itself. Welcome to the live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth on the Internet airwaves. Since 2006, on a long list of alternative networks, RBN, uh, We the People Radio Network, the uh, Alex Jones Network. What was that called? Uh, Genesis, that's what it was called. And I, I can hardly remember all the networks I've been on. Jeff Rentz was begging me to join his network, and on and on and on. But uh, in any case, here we are on the greatest of all free speech radio networks, which is Revolution.Radio, home of all-out free speech on the Internet airwaves. So please do help out at Revolution.Radio. Okay, we have a good controversial show coming up here tonight. There's been some serious pushback against people, including some of my friends. Um, my friend Nader Talabzada died uh, kind of mysteriously and suspiciously. A couple of months ago, he was the head of the New Horizon NGO that brought leading independent thinkers to Iran for conferences. And that organization, Natter's organization, had been hit with all kinds of nasty pushback before. Uh, the FBI told us, those of us who were planning to go to their conference, that we'd be arrested and when we stepped off the plane on the way home. And on and on and on. Well, now they've they've actually killed another one. They may have killed Nader, but they also uh, definitely uh, apparently tried to kill Alexander Dugan and ended up killing his daughter, Daria. And I met Alexander Dugan while traveling to this conference, or rather at, at the conference in Meshed, Iran in 2018. I really liked the guy, and I'm really pissed off about this. Well, they're pushing back in all sorts of ways, killing people, taking people down, and somebody that they're trying to take down apparently is... Helen Byniski, Helen of Destroy, is her uh, Substack name and her website name. Helen is a really good writer and commentator. And suddenly, her, her computer went down, her hard drive went down, and her backup drive went down at exactly the same time. It looks pretty bad. And so we're trying to raise money to help her out. We're going to have her on False Flag Weekly News tomorrow. And you can help Helen out by finding your way to the False Flag Weekly News link by way of truthjihad.com. Right up at the top of the list of stories is the fundraiser that we're going to turn over the proceeds to Helen to help her back up on her feet. Okay, so those are the announcements, and tonight we're, we're pushing back against the bad guys who are pushing back against us by cyber vandalism, terrorism, murder. Uh, they, it looks like all, all the stops are off. They're going to try and blow up a nuclear plant in Ukraine now. Uh, it's, it's getting completely crazy. The bad guys know they're losing. They're losing on a whole bunch of fronts, and they're getting desperate. So anyway, in the second hour today, Sandra Hicks will come on to talk about getting attacked in the Jewish Daily Forward, the biggest national American Jewish publication, because he endorsed a candidate for the House, and it turns out that they, they think that, that he's not allowed to do that because he's a 9-11 anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. That is, Sanders talked about Israel's role in the 9-11 false flag. 
so much for <laughs> Sander being allowed to do anything without being harassed by the usual suspects. We'll talk about that and about New Horizon. Sander has been a participant in those conferences in Iran and more in the second hour. Well, let's get to the first hour. Nadim Huck is one of the most interesting Muslim thinkers of our time, and he's the author of a number of books, most recently, Ecolibrium, The Sacred Balance in Islam. So unlike Klaus Schwab and other advocates of the Great Reset who think that atheism and Satanism will allow a superior elite to grab control, uh, depopulate the planet, and turn it into a paradise for them and, and save the world ecologically, Nadim thinks that Islam and its notion of mizan or balance is a better bet. And, and I agree with him. So <laughs> let's talk about it. Hey, welcome, Nadim Haq. Assalamu alaikum. How are you? Wa alaikum salam. How are you? I'm doing well tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, so this uh, this notion that Islam has a lot to tell us about how to deal with the ecological crisis is, of course, not it's not only not widely accepted. It's not even widely entertained. Hardly anybody has even heard of such a thing. And yet your book looks like it's it's getting uh, halfway decent uh, reception. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the challenge of trying to get this topic across to a, a global and Western audience that isn't really prepared for it. Yes, actually, um, um, it's on uh, Graham. I'm the author of the month for, uh, on Graham Hancock's uh, website. For those people who don't know, Graham Hancock is a, is a very well-known author and explorer of uh, history, ancient civilizations. And... Um, and he, yeah, he made me author of the month, which is kind of, uh, in a way, it's historical because, <laughs> you know, he's so well known, and then you're getting the true view of, of Islam, which is very rare. And, um, but I did warn them that, uh, you know, his his viewers might find it, uh, you know, like uh, um, they might be against that. And uh, then, you know, if you look at the, the the comments, you know, so a lot of people are saying, how can Islam? You know, talk about the environment. You know, it's it's about beating up women, and you know, like all kind of ridiculous stuff, right? So yes, I said nine eleven brainwashing. Uh, people, you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Deep in the and, subconscious uh, thing but but I think that there's a lot of you know there is a lot of positive uh, you know there are a lot of positive responses to lots of them, and I think that um, you know so the whole idea here is basically to um, say that we're in, we're in a really in a terrible situation. It's getting worse and worse. And Islam really is the is the only solution because it's the optimal solution. And then I, the whole book is written to show that Islam is the optimal solution. <laughs> like it's a formula, basically. That's that's if you want to put it that way. And I describe the formula, what the formula is to to derive an optimal society that takes care of the environment, human beings, everything. Uh, right. So so you know yeah. through this idea of ecognitions, you know that I was able to extract these laws from the Quran for ecognitions, right? And I think we had talked about this many years ago on your show, actually, f for the first time. So, <laughs> right, that was long before you, long before you published the book. Yeah, so I really commend you for for you know like um, you know like just having me on the show uh, you know so many years ago, right? And yeah, well, yeah. I love talking with you. you you've got a, a really interesting uh, approach to a, a number of topics, and this I'm really glad that you were able to turn this one into a book. And, and I would think Graham Hancock's website, despite, you know, some of the audience won't be ready for it, but some of those people have open minds, which is why they're open to the kind of alternative history that he talks about. And so you'll, you know, little by little, this kind of information can, can be brought across. Well, and, and so that may be a way to sort of open up this discussion, because, of course, our audience is probably majority non-Muslim. 
So they when they and when they think of religion, they're thinking mainly in the Judeo-Christian framework. They should be right. thinking you know, most of them, if they're Christians, they should be thinking in the Christian framework. But a lot of them have been um, intensively conditioned to think Judeo-Christian and so on. And 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 they think of their notion of God is is a bit anthropomorphic uh, from those two traditions and kind of yeah. authoritarian and patriarchal. And so the whole progressive movement has tried to move away from religion and say that religion is the problem, not the solution. And then, of course, they've been told that Islam is the biggest problem of all. So so how do you you talk to through people's, you know, people have all those preconceptions that actually are inaccurate. You know, how how do you get through those? Yeah. So I think I think we have to talk uh, about rationality that that, uh, you know, evidence and and. uh, Rationality is very important, and um, you know you, you can start out by talking about you know showing that God is not uh, an anthropomorphic uh, uh, an entity, and um, he's totally uh, non-anthropomorphic and is a non-localized entity. If you want to use even the word entity, because if you would use the word entity, it kind of means like he's limited. But so so really, it's the idea is is to show that um, there is nothing like God. Uh, and if God created the universe, then how could God be like the universe? It doesn't make any sense, right? He has to be totally other. So you, you, you try and get these ideas across, and, and once you get these ideas across, you can you know, then start to talk about other things in terms of um, that uh, you know, this, if he created the universe, then, it, then this, and he's the owner of the universe, so then everything is a trust. So that's how you, know, you get into this whole uh, equilibrium thing. You start out by talking about, and that's the first ecognition, that there is a, creator who is the owner of everything and everything is a trust so therefore you have to use it properly you know um so 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 so, you know that's the first thing i think and uh okay and and, and, and stopping with that for just a moment so when when you talk to people from the the western backgrounds uh who have a more anthropomorphized notion of god sometimes they have a hard time you know when you say well, we're being rational here, and obviously God is unlimited and far beyond any yeah. conception of him, and certainly not human-like, and so on. And so then they've been conditioned to like sort of think of God as a big daddy in the sky. You know, William yeah. Blake called him Noba Daddy when, <laughs> from his mystical yeah. perspective. And, and, and so then they would say, well, okay, I, I've got this idea of God as the big daddy in the sky with whom I can have a personal relationship, or, or the sun, the big sun in the sky, if, yeah. you're, if you're a, a Christian. Um, and, and, you know, you have these, these human images of Jesus and of Jesus' dad, the guy on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. So they, they all want to have a sort of emotional and loving relationship with God as a, an anthropomorphic sort of humanized figure. And then if you say, no, that's not, that's not what God is, are you, they, they don't understand, well, what am I going to, how am I going to worship this God? How am I going to relate to this God that's like totally abstract and it's just sort of non-human and beyond human and beyond everything? If it's beyond everything, including my conceptions of God, well, how can I have any relationship with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about, um, you know, like the provisions of this universe and, uh, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, that, that maintain, you know, systems. And so there, there must be some kind of purpose. You know, you get into ideas of purpose. And, um, and, uh, you know, like we, I mean, of course, you can get into the Quran. It depends on who you're talking to, right? And, you know, where the Quran, of course, you know, talks of God, you know, being closer to you than your jugular vein. You know, like, so, so these ideas that, that God is very aloof is, is kind of, uh, you know, you show that that's, that's, that's very strange. 
Actually, I, I knew this uh, this speaker, um, Steve Johnson, many years ago. He was uh, training to become a Jesuit priest, and uh, he said that he wanted to study the Quran uh, for his PhD uh, uh, to become a Jesuit priest. And they said that you better not study the Quran because they found out that a lot of people who study the Quran become Muslims, you know, who are mm-hmm. becoming Jesuit priests. So they told him to study the Hadith because they had told him that God is very aloof. Then when he looked at the Hadith, there's one Hadith which said that even if your sins were higher than the highest mountains or deeper than the deepest oceans, God could forgive you. And he was shocked by that, right? <laughs> and he, and he became a Muslim based on that. Can you believe that? <laughs> you know, he oh, so, crying, so, so they're you know, playing and, back. And, 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 you know, uh, that he, you know, like, who hadn't done, made, uh, perpetrated sins, right? So he kind of, you know, realized that uh, this God is very forgiving, right? So, yeah, it's just propaganda, really, um, you know. Interesting. And, uh, well, you know, the, the, part of the reason, I'll bet, that the Jesuits have a, you know, fear of letting anybody study Quran is, of course, because they they're very serious and they 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 train them to read really well. And so, yes. if they turn somebody loose on the Quran, it's going to be a smart person who's going to read it really carefully, and they might notice that the Quran is actually much more in line with the highest level of um, the theological philosophy. Uh, and indeed mystical experience reported in the Christian tradition itself. You know, Meister Eckhart and the author of The Cloud of Unknowing, Jacob Bowman, all these people, uh, all got the, they, they would maybe start with the Christians telling them, well, God is the, the three in one, one in three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and then yeah. the Christ, you know, there'll be a crucifixion and you'll have all this powerful love and suffering and all this kind of emotional stuff. And yeah. so they start there. And then when they actually, succeed at getting closer to God or having what in Islam we call qurba and they have a mystical experience and they actually taste valk, yeah. what God really is, they see that God is totally unlimited and, and that all of this stuff about fathers and sons and holy ghosts and old men on the ceiling and, yeah. uh, and, and suffering on the cross, all this stuff is actually totally irrelevant really. I mean, it was a sort of a, it, there are these metaphors that they can draw from their Christian tradition yeah. that help them with their mystical stuff, but yeah. ultimately God's nature is like the way you're describing it. Only it, that doesn't mean that it's not, we can't relate to it at a really, really deep level. And usually the response of mystics is this kind of ecstasy. And yeah. that uh, kind of, you know, see, seeing how just un, the unlimited uh, yeah. God is and how this space time that we're in is, is limited, uh, it blows their mind. Exactly. And, and I know that this is not the focus of the discussion, but, uh, you know, I have come to a certain conclusion about uh, concerning belief in God that, uh, you see, everybody really knows that God exists just as they know that they exist. So denying God is a psychological thing. It has nothing to do with uh, you know, uh, in, in the sense that, oh, you got to prove it to me. Of course, there are proofs. And, 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 and as you know, that we, uh, I, I have some proofs for the existence of God. But it's a psychological thing, you know, because, you know, nowhere in the Quran will you, will you come across any verse which kind of says that you have to kind of, um, like, like the God has to be kind of uh, proven in the sense that it's something like proving other things. It's not, you know, it's God is, you see, the reason why, <laughs> there are many reasons for that. And one has to do with uh, consciousness, that where does our consciousness come from? You know, it has to come from an bigger consciousness. So our consciousness is linked to, to God's consciousness. And then we have this idea of fitra, you know, your nature, right? So a denial of God is really a psychological, uh, a psychological thing. I just throw an atheist in, a, in, a, in, in the ocean and he's going to be saying, God, help me, you know, <laughs> and the Quran right. talks of this phenomenon, right? <laughs> right. 
right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so really, you know, when I was talking about e- ecology, the first recognition was that all non-human animals are a trust from from God. I started out by talking about animals, you know, in terms of ecognitions, like, and um, and then there, of course, there are many verses that show that you know God is the owner of the universe, and and if He is, then you have to, uh, then everything is a trust, and you have to use it properly. You can't be arrogant and so on and so forth, and that affects the economic system too, right? Because if you don't own it, you don't own it. <laughs> you, 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 it, it's a trust. Then you know how can you be arrogant, right? Because uh, you're supposed to use it in a certain way, then, right? So, but how are you supposed to use it? And that leads to the second ignition, right? So, if you want me to go on, I can explain the the formula. Sure. So, so you 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 think that that part of the problem is that uh, in this post you know post religious West, which has built all of this technology, has grown arrogant in their their humanism or sort of worship of, of the human being and taking away all limits to what humans are supposed to accomplish by manipulating matter and space time and getting more and more powerful and, yeah. and more wealthy, powerful and comfortable. And that's yeah. all there is. And and that's yeah. led to a certain arrogance, which has had bad environmental ramifications. Exactly. You see, so, so like, um, so, you know, one of my areas of study is history of science. And so you see the Muslims taught the world that you should, Use nature, but they also taught the nature of use, and we only took the uh, the Western world only took the first part of the message to use nature, but not the nature of use. In other words, how do you use that, right? So it's like uh, you know my uh, friend Gary Miller, you know the mathematician, he used to say, you know, half truth is like half a parachute. That's like half a parachute, right? You got to take the whole thing, right? Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's how you use something, and of course. How you use something has to do with the mizan. You mentioned that, right? So, um, so, so that was the second part, the second recognition. It, like it, so you you have to use things so that the balance is maintained. Um, and uh, we call it uh, I call it equigenic right because uh, of the history of this. Um, like arguing with professors at university, I came up with this term equigenic. Uh, do you know the story behind this? I don't know if I'm... Uh, no, go ahead. Well, I, certainly the audience doesn't, and I'm drawing okay, blank, so, too. So, so, so what happened was, uh, uh, in, in the ni- early 90s, my friend, Mehran Benai, was at York University, and his professor, who was an agnostic, he said that rights are, are synthetic. They're, they're man-made. There's no such thing as a uh, natural right. Now, Mehran came to me, and he said, you know, that, like, as Muslims, we know that this isn't true, but how do we disprove it? So I said, okay, let me think about it. And I came across, okay, so we came across this, uh, we developed this argument, which is based on reality, which is that there was, a, there was a, um, an actor in Australia who made uh, clothing, uh, like, uh, he made a jacket made of snakeskin. So everybody wanted to uh, get that kind of a jacket. So they killed all the snakes, the rat population went up, they ate the crops, and there was starvation in that part of Australia. So we said that, look, it is, it is the right of the snake not to be harmed because when you look at the interconnections in nature, it will project onto your, you know, onto your mind that it has a right. So it's an absolute right that comes from nature. And then said, okay, let, let, let's develop a term. I call it the equigenic. Genic is start of origin and equi is equal or balance, you could say. Yeah. So, so we said, okay, equigenic, and maybe this term will catch on. And actually after 30 years it's catching on, believe it or not, but that's another story. So... So it has to do with uh, Al-Mizan, basically, and, uh, which is you know, the very uh, uh, important concept uh, in the Quran. 
Right. Well, it, what what is the, the the famous line in in Quran that like don't don't violate the balance or how how do you uh, how would yeah, you yeah yeah so 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 that one basically uh, it, uh, I just paraphrase it talking about you see that's the amazing thing it's talking about the universal structure the cosmology that that's balanced and then it goes right into the next line into the economic balance you know isn't it amazing that God he interrelates everything like. Economics and cosmology and you know everything, right? <laughs> and he says you, you must not you must not like uh, fall short of the balance because you know the balance is already there. It's just that we mess it up. It's not that we have to create the balance. The balance is there, right? So it's it's that we have to maintain it. I don't fall short of it, right? So 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 that's the basic idea. Um, and um, uh, you know, nature is not cruel or brutish. You know the Hobbesian kind of idea. It's it, it has to do with you know, you know, flowing and, you know, in harmony and, uh, you know, sure, there's a food web and animals eat other animals and all that. But it's I'm talking about, um, you know, all those things maintain an equilibrium. So, right. Uh, you you know, Josh, Josh Middledorf has come on the show and talked about uh, how there seems to be a sort of built in equilibrium in ecosystems. And he's taking this from a sort of a an evolutionary perspective. Although he's he's definitely not a standard neo-Darwinian, but yeah, he yeah. Has noticed that if you were a, a true Darwinian, you would think yeah. that the balance wouldn't be maintained because everything would be competing and trying to reproduce itself as best yeah. it could, and something would become the quote-unquote fittest, meaning the best um, the best possible organism for taking all of the available energy and yeah. turning that into copies of itself, and yeah. so that that thing would then take over everything and there would be no more balance. But in fact, the way the ecosystem actually works is that zillions, all oh, just this un uncountless number of organisms and, and uh, you know, DNA structures and so on and so forth and, and, uh, and, and sort of uh, groups of organisms um, you know, that actually are working together, you know, anthills or in a sense the anthill is really the creature as much as this individual ant is. Yes. So all of these things are actually limiting themselves. That is, the, when the predator does not try to eat up all the prey so that he can turn yeah. the entire universe into that predator. Coyotes don't do that. They try to eat, you know, they eat enough rabbits to keep the rabbit supply going. And there's like this built-in limit to predator-prey. And, and Josh recognized this as why, possibly why there's aging. Like there's no reason in nature for there to be aging. There are, are organisms that are just as, they're, they're less likely to die each year rather than more likely to die each year, which is the case with creatures that age, like trees. And, and so the, the aging is built in so that we sacrifice ourselves so that there can be this balance. You know, rather than trying to live as long as possible and create as many copies of ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, and we have this chapter in the book where we talk of foundations of, of of animal and ecological rights. And you know, so you have the cooperationists, you know, who say that all animals they cooperate. Then you have the those who say there's competition. So really, it's 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 you, you can't really categorize it into that. It actually has to do with. Uh, the the context and you know uh, it's a bit of both you know what I'm saying it's 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 there to maintain the the balance so in some cases it's so-called cooperation in in most cases actually right and uh, and then you may have some so-called competition but it's not really competition in the sense of greed <laughs> you know like the human competition right <laughs> so so yeah so 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 that like uh, the idea of ownership and you know so it's connected that's the first recognition the second recognition ecological recognition I talked about What's this, you know, the, the, the balance? So then, then that leads to something 
interesting, which is the third one, which I said was all animals live in communities. All non-human animals live in, live in communities because there's a verse in the Quran that says that, right? Yes. There's not a non-flying and two-winged flying uh, creature, but they are in communities like yourself. So the thing is that we have to preserve the animal communities. And the interesting thing is that the communities make up the balance, don't they? <laughs> you see, if you start destroying the community, you destroy the second e-cognition. Therefore, right. you have to maintain the, the communities. But what are communities comprised of? That's the fourth e-cognition, right? The fourth e-cognition is they're comprised of individuals, personhood. So each animal is unique. You know, I think we talked about this before. Like each, you have two ants. If we knew about them, they'd have different personalities. I remember you mentioned your your dog or something last time, you know, when mm-hmm. we discussed this. So right. that he had an interesting personality. And you so, know now, actually, that 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 dog uh, Rushdi has uh, unfortunately passed away. Oh. Uh, and we now we now have a cat who also has a very interesting personality. He's very very affectionate, but not yeah. needy. And so he's made friends with all the neighbors, and everybody loves him in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah. And he's he's kind of you know he was a feral a feral kitten who then oh, okay. uh, became super friendly and just yeah. really really nice. It is a very pleasant personality. That's uh, that's Muse the cat, which some of my listeners have heard of before. Yeah. So, so essentially, what I'm trying to say basically here is, in order to have a viable community, you need individual rights. Okay, and then when you have a strong community, these animals then they lead to the balance, right? But what I did in the book was then I, I, I extended it to humans, like ignition three and four, to an economic system in the sense that we are also supposed to be communities like animal communities, and we're supposed to be living in integration with them. And I called it the supra-community, like it's a community of communities, and we interrelate with each other in that, in that sense, right? Rather than in a dominating way of destroying them and this and that, you know, like, so 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 that's the uh, that's the basic idea. But the thing is that so all these things essentially they are kind of um, have to do with uh, causation, right? Like one thing leads to another. It's like a, a formula. You have to have one to have the other. So so for example, if you reason, then you'll be cognizant of things. If you're cognizant of things, you'll notice design in nature, which a lot of people want to uh, deny actually. And if you notice design, you'll put things where they belong, right? Because you know, see the design, right? And if you put things where they belong, you know, that's the meaning of the uh, antonym of dhulm in, in, in Arabic. Dhulm means when you put something where it doesn't belong. So if you put things where they belong, it leads to what? The balance. And if it leads to balance, it leads to justice. And if it leads to justice, it leads to peace. So this is like a, um, like a causation, right? A formula. And Islam is, this is what Islam is talking about. And this is what all the prophets in the past were talking about, right? So, so, so this is how it goes. You know, so, that notion of communities um, of communities is really interesting. And it might relate to the idea of the whole planet or Gaia under the Gaia hypothesis of Lovelock and Margulis as being yeah. uh, kind of a super organism or community of communities. And then maybe there are even, uh, as we've discussed before on the show, um, communities of communities of, of different pla- living planets around the universe. Yes, or universes. yes in fact, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually writing a, a science, that's another st- story, and writing a science fiction novel, uh, you know, based on what you're talking about in the sense of, you know, another Muslim, you know, from another planet crash landing on Earth, and he, he tries to, unite not only mankind, but also the Muslims on his planet, like he has their problems on his planet with these. It's like, a, a, like imagine an ummah that spans two planets. 
you know it's not just our ummah you know like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's even vaster than that actually but anyway yeah these are you know other things you know we won't get into them um you know <laughs> but um yeah so so this is a, the a basic idea and, and and so really uh, what what is happening is that um uh you know this uh, um word rub in 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 arabic you know rub it means uh, you know translated as lord usually and yeah. it's also translated as sustainer actually it means the, according to raghib the linguist the creator of a thing from one stage to another until it reaches completion or perfection that's one meaning i i e evolver that's what it means right and the other meaning of rub is one who is sustains you know like it's it's your consciousness it's it's sustained by the creator's consciousness like if it, we are conscious because our consciousness is accesses the consciousness of god and it kind of manifests itself in our individual you know uh, bodies right so so what happens is when we realize that all animals also access the same consciousness what i i say it produces a thing called affinity closeness and if we realize that all animals come from like uh, in this macroevolution which has occurred then all animals also come from a common origin then we feel affinity there right so what i said is that uh, in the book is that you know if you feel affinity then what does it lead to uh, empathy right if it leads to empathy what does it lead to compassion if it leads to compassion what does it lead to justice because you 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 have compassion right you you feel something about like injustice right and you want to get things right and if you establish justice what does that lead to peace so what i said is that this is like a a, a formula and you know so all the sages and the prophets in the past they came to talk about this you know but this is like a a kind of a summary using some maybe modern language and evolution and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, so, how does that how does that relate to the issue of the um so that it you, you talk about this compassion that when, you know when we have that empathy for other creatures we we feel compassion which leads us to to be just to them of course to be kind and so on and and the the question would be is there a is there a balance in that or like a, a, christians in particular sometimes uh feel that god is love and that the way to relate to the world is through love and uh, you know some this has led to some, there've been brilliant um insights yeah. among in the christian tradition um there you know the the god is love uh, uh sermon by uh meister eckhart and things like that but the the thing is of course that if we had total that the most extreme kind of compassion for all living creatures uh like the jainists do yeah. we you know they they make they won't swat a mosquito i mean they won't uh yeah. Uh, they, they watch where they step because they're afraid they're going to step on uh, invisible microorganisms and th- yeah. things like that. So, so is there, in other words, is is there a, a balance there where at times we need to act rather than with super ultra compassion and love like the Janus try to, where we actually have to act harshly sometimes and you know eat living creatures like plants or animals or sometimes you know make war and things like that, or is that all stuff that should somehow end? Yeah, I, well, I think that, uh, you know, that's why, you know, in, in, in Islam, I mean, and, and according to the Quran, you know, you're allowed to eat animals because, you know, it's just the, you know, the way that God has made the system. But in, in, what I think is that in the future, like if we don't blow ourselves up, maybe 200 years or something, you know, we may, we may not have to eat because already they're, they're, they're trying to develop, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, meat, 
you know, uh, in, in, in different ways, you know, using, uh, you know, proteins, like, without killing, like, in the lab and stuff like that. So I think that, that um, you know, that, that would, in, from my point of view, be a kind of a, a, a better situation. But, 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 but you're allowed to, you know, like, uh, you know, kill animals for food, right? Otherwise, you die, <laughs> right? So, so I think that, and, and because God has allowed it, and, you know, um, you know you, when you kill an animal, you're supposed to do it in the name of God, you know, then it, it makes you conscious that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege, a right that he's given you. So, it, it, it seems like the balance, the balance or maison is set up to do that. Like you can't really grow enough plants to eat unless you have yeah. animal manure. So you have to raise yeah, yeah, farm animals. Yes, exactly. So. And I think that, that, you know, this is why, for example, I had this uh, chapter, which was very unusual. And then, uh, you know, I got even contacted by Rupert Sheldrake. You know, you interviewed him, remember? You, Rupert Sheldrake? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rupert yeah, Sheldrake so, is great. So, so he, 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 he actually, um, so, you know, I talked about animal afterlife, right? Like that, that, that there is a afterlife, and I was, I, was, I was giving my reasons, but I said that we don't know the details, so I gave my reason why they should be. And he found that very interesting, right? That um, Because the Bible doesn't say much about that, right? Like hardly anything. And uh, But the Quran talks about uh, that, you know, everyone will be gathered on the day of judgment, like all creatures, right? Because the verse about the communities, animal beings being communities, that's the way it ends, right? It says that Allah will gather them. So, um, so b- because Allah is the most just, right? So, so Allah will make uh, make it up to to the animals, I, I, I believe somehow, because in the Quran it says Allah is not unjust to His creatures, right? So, um, if they've suffered here, then they'll, you know, He'll make it up. Uh, this is what I I, I truly believe, and uh, because Allah is the most just, and um, yeah, that, that, that's very interesting. Well, and of course, Allah has given all creatures. Uh, a degree of consciousness, which means a degree of freedom, and of course, humans and jinn and you know the the, yeah. the highly sentient creatures, we have a lot of freedom, uh, and that's why we can be so evil if we choose to. Um, yeah. But the animals, maybe they they have some freedom, but a lot less than we do. But they still have that consciousness and that freedom, and and by virtue of that little bit of consciousness, they're still partaking of uh, of of Allah's creation. Uh, through, through yes, consciousness. Yes. And, and why would Allah discard them? If You see, okay, so if Allah made this universe to test like um, creatures like us and jinn and, and advanced aliens, like who have so-called free will, right? Like we can choose to do right and wrong. But we need the other, he needed to create the other animals to like have a kind of a, 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 a universe so that this, these other entities could be tested. Then why would he just discard them? Like they played a role, right, in the whole drama of existence you could say right so yeah yeah so i i get into that you know um which uh i think people found that interesting because nobody really you know talked about that and, it's uh, true yeah you're you're, you're a real pioneer back. in some of these areas uh, yeah, yeah alhamdulillah you know like um i mean uh, you know uh this is another whole new topic but uh you know one of the reasons why uh graham hancock uh you know i think he also likes this work is because uh, you know, I was I was able to show in, that in the Quran in Surah Baqarah, that that what he's saying may be right in the sense of that there was an advanced civilization way in the past, way way in the past, that they they followed you know uh, you know Islam, and that things disintegrated because it's in Surah Baqarah that once all humanity was one, and people seem to have missed that out, you know. <laughs> so, well, so, so certainly the Quran so, talks you know, about 
former civilizations. It, it urges us to 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 go, travel through the earth and look yes. at the ruins of the great civilizations that preceded us, and they were stronger than us and and more yes. advanced. That's actually yes. It's, yes. it's interesting that it says that. Yeah, and there, there may have been one. Uh, in fact, I'm convinced by the Quran itself, the way the Quran is structured, and uh, what the angel said to God, because when the angel said. And when God said, I'm going to create a successor, a Khalifa means successor, that's the main, thing, main uh, translation. Then they said, will you create uh, someone who commits bloodshed while we hymn your praises? Now, how did they know about bloodshed unless they, were, they had experience of, of, of you know, other entities like us? You know, because um, you know, the Muslim scholars say, oh, no, that has to do with jinn, but jinn don't commit, uh, like, there's no blood. Jinn are made of a different energy form, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, like it's in, and all of this is in Surah, you know, um, Bakara. So, you know, what I was saying was that, you know, it answers, uh, you know, like it, it somehow coincides with what Graham Hancock has been saying, and a lot of things are now coming out that, you know, this is true, you know, in terms of, you know, civilizations they find are, you know, Gunung Padang, you know, twenty-eight thousand years old, you know, Gebeki Tepli, you know, thirteen thousand years, you know, like, you know. <laughs> So it's it's it, it, it's opening up a whole new uh, area, right? Uh, so, um, uh, but 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 what I what I realized from studying the history part of it, I didn't put it in equilibrium, but it has to do with when God created Adam, it was like giving us a second chance to unite in the future, because we were united in the past. We were one ummah. It says that in the Quran. So so this is what I'm talking about, you know, like one ummah coming together, right? Does it make sense to have nation states fighting each other? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? We should be all one, following the balance, and and creating a a very just society together, right? That's what should be happening. Well, well right? one could argue that, that there ought to be a sort of a balance between competition and cooperation among human nations and tribes, uh, and it certainly would be different from what we've seen yeah. in, in recent history, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's no. Yeah, of course, it could, there could be competition, but it would not be the kind of competition where you're trying to usurp someone's, you know, land and you know, killing them, raping and everything, right? Like, you know, it's not going to go that direction, right? Mm-hmm. But sure, yeah. you could have regions, and you know, they may be kind of competing with each other in different ways, right? Like to develop. Well, it, it is interesting that the Quran seems to tell us that the uh, the only justification for warfare is is self-defense now i know that the there's a preponderance of historical scholarship that's been having to yeah. operate under rulers who sometimes waged wars that were not purely defensive to say the least yeah. and there's some muslim rulers in history have actually been quite horrible in that respect but yeah. the so there's so that scholarship i think is questionable but when i read quran it what jumps out at me is that uh, defensive warfare is what's justified but definitely not offensive warfare or aggression um, you know, the, uh, aggression and oppression are sort of the, these two uh, cardinal sins. And then when you defend yourself through warfare, you have to be willing at any time to stop when the other side is willing to stop and negotiate a peace. Um, exactly, so, yeah. That's what the Quran says, right? That's, that's exactly true. But, you know, but, but there is some kind of tendency that sometimes, you know, a lot of Muslims, because they're reacting against colonialism, neocolonialism, saying, you know, we have to, like, just, you know, um, like... Uh, Okay, if they, we have treaties, they break it. We're just going to attack them, and you know that's it. You know, like, but you can't use treaties as excuses to invade. Like, it has to be very sincere, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, well, I think it's been out of the, the international situation has been out of balance for a long time, and yeah. you know, maybe the, the divine revelations are meant to sort of help us 
uh, gradually get things back into balance. Yes, indeed. And you know, the verse in the Quran says that we will show them our signs in the horizons and within themselves until they know that this is the truth. Is it not sufficient that your Lord is witness to everything? And and I, and I think in a previous uh, interview I had with you, you know, saying that mankind will indeed become one once they understand this thing about consciousness, you know, like that, that, that we all share in a, a consciousness and that will lead to affinity and all that. That's why the verse says, you know, that, you know, we will show them our signs in the horizons and then within themselves, right? So, so that's my, my take on it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's quite, quite beautiful. Well, you know, getting back to the, the ecology side of things, um, right now we're told that we're facing a crisis due to climate change with too much carbon in the atmosphere. We're told that if we try to solve that through nuclear energy, that there would be dangers with that as well. Hmm. And... So, so, you know, these are the biggest environmental threats that we're told about. But then there are, of course, all the sort of Frankenstein style, yeah. uh, si- you know, mad science threats as well. Biological yeah. warfare being right up there at the top. And then, of course, the possibility of nuclear war also mm. being a, a huge, you know, potential ecological catastrophe. So we're, we're told that we're in this real crisis situation ecologically. So specifically, what, what, what do you think is the sort of the uh, most obvious things that the uh, Quranic and Islamic wisdom can tell us in, in terms of these specific ecological challenges that we're facing, or that we're told we're facing. Yeah, yeah. so, so essentially, you know, to, to, do, to for example, uh, develop technology that is cyclical, you know, that kind of fits in. So when, when you develop something, then it has to fit in with a larger cycle. So it has to have a cyclical component. You know, that, you know, and then the other thing is that, uh, the, you know, the, the, the best technology really is the technology of nature. The, the nature of technology is is really um, should be the technology. Uh, the technology of nature is, is something we should emulate. That's what I'm trying to say. So um, because it's been designed by the uh, Creator, and in the Quran says that Allah is the best of creators, which means that there are other creators like us, but He's the best of creators, right? So we have to basically um, um, use a kind of uh, you know biomimicry like these things. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, in the future, maybe they will, they will, they will open up like uh, you know areas in universities called equigenic studies, for example. You know, or you know, to do with maybe more with biomimicry stuff like that, right? So we have to develop systems like that. Uh, wait, 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 what do you think about the argument that that we, uh, the, since Allah is the best of creators, that the kinds of systems that we would develop that would be kind of imitating or, or working in, in harmony with Allah's systems would tend to be relatively low-tech. Uh, just for example, I, I don't remember if you were on the show before or after uh, Sheikh Imran Hussein wrote that uh, fatwa against the flush toilet that I, I oh, asked yeah, him to. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I, we've been doing uh, humanure composting, you know, rather than a septic system for 20 years, uh, building, uh, returning carbon and nitrogen to the soil, building very, very rich soil and putting that carbon back in, in the soil that way and not yeah. polluting the groundwater and, uh, you know, the way septics do and not using all the chemicals that you're using yeah. for the, uh, when you use water to dispose of human excrement. And, and right. so, so, yeah, Sheikh Imran wrote that, uh, quote unquote fatwa against the flesh toilet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, 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 so I think that, you know, like, uh, in this book, I didn't get into that many specifics, but I was talking about the principles. So what we have to do is we really have to study the principles in terms of how we're going to preserve the mizan, which means we have to look at the whole cycle 
You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just you look at part of it. Um, um, so, for example, like there's a situation where they wanted to develop a, a car. Uh, they developed a particular um, uh, uh, compound that was used in the car, and they said it was lighter, and you know you'd save on fuel. But to develop the compound, you know there was more pollution. Do you, you know you have to look at the whole cycle, everything, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I think that you can only do that when you're not like you see yeah. our capitalistic system. It doesn't care about that. It, the profit is the bottom line, right? We're not concerned about, oh, you know, if we develop this, how is it going to affect the Mizan? Do you think any of these guys care about that <laughs> right. in the boardrooms? <laughs> yeah. They don't, yeah. right? <laughs> so we have to change, like, the whole way. That's what I'm saying. We have to come to these ignitions, like, one after another. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and part of it is a time horizon. Capitalism uh, discounts uh, the future situation. Capitalism is willing to do a uh, million dollars worth of damage 10 years from now in order to make $10,000 uh, today. And, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and as I say, we should be profit-oriented rather than profit-oriented. You know what I mean? <laughs> we have to think about what the profits and not the profit. Right. Yeah, so, they definitely uh, had a long-term perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and as far as uh, um, I think the Muslims also have to be careful about all this globe, all this hype about global warming, this and that, you know, like we have to really study this very carefully because there are a lot of agendas. You know, these things have a, you know, history, you know, as to, you know, uh, you know, we have to look at you know, the, the groups that are pushing this and everything, you know, like it, it, it's not as straightforward as most people think, you know. So um, maybe in the future I'll write about that, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd be interested. In, I'd like to hear your take. I, th I think we have a lot of listeners here who are skeptical about global warming, and a fair number who are not. Uh, and, of course, in the alternative information community, uh, we do have both sides. David Ray Griffin, and by the way, shout out to David Ray Griffin and his great work. I understand he's very ill right now, and so if by any chance he's listening, uh, we're praying for you, David, one of my favorite uh, Christian thinkers. But, but he's, he's written a book on the danger of anthropogenic uh, climate change through pumping carbon into the atmosphere. He thinks it is every bit as bad, if not worse, than... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you see that there are two views of, of this. Uh, like, this is a, 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 a huge topic, and, you know, I mean, you know, one view is, yeah, it, it's really bad, we've got to do something about it, and it's human beings are causing, you know, most of this, right? The other view is, no, like, this is just part of the whole agenda of, you know, of the, you know, other group, the elites who are controlling the world, right? Like, uh you know, and it started out in the in the in the 60s with the Club of Rome, and you know, like all that stuff, and you know, so so so, so there are two views of what's happening, and then um, you know, how do you explain you know the uh, other warming periods? You know, the you know the 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 medieval uh, in the Middle Ages, you know, the warming period, which was warmer than it is now, and why did they try to cut that out? You know, at the University of East Anglia, why did they want to produce the hockey stick? Like, there's so many questions, and and as as Muslims. I think we have to be very like critical and not just just just, just buy you know the you know the things. It's just like the nine eleven stuff, right? You got to really you know think about what what, what is happening, right? That's my mm -hmm. opinion. And uh, but maybe if I get a t get time, I'll I'll come up with a conclusion and write something on it. <laughs> yeah, but, and, um, and and you know I don't think I've had you on since COVID, if I recall. So. COVID, of course, you know, looks like it came out of a germ warfare lab, and I, I, I personally tend to agree with Ron Unz's take on it that it probably yeah. came out of a U.S. bioattack on China and Iran, 
And yeah. so that would seem to be an example of disrupting the balance, disrupting the maison by creating these new uh, yeah, yeah. data so, so that, that could be a possibility. But, you know, the other possibility, like this is a, another t- huge topic, right, has to do with um, the very ontology of viruses. Do they exist or do they not exist? Mm. Well, <laughs> that, there, I, I'm skeptical about that whole meme of the viruses don't exist because it, it, that, that kind but of meme. Have you looked at the work of Stephen Lanka? No. Oh, okay. So check out the work of Steve Lanka, L-A-N-K-A. And um, he was a virologist, but he can't call himself a virologist because he, he doesn't believe the, in the existence of viruses. So, so, so you know, what, what, are, what, what is he? What's his model? No, no, what, what, no it, it's a long story, but it had to do with, you know, the German measles case where, um, you know, he, um, according to German law uh, now, because it went through the courts, uh, you know, measles is not caused by virus because they couldn't prove it. So I guess in Germany only that that is true, <laughs> but not in the rest of the world. <laughs> but but really? but in the sense that he said that um, you know because uh, you know they um, uh, you know there was a, uh, a a professor who who got a Nobel Prize uh, when he discovered what he called was uh, viruses. Actually, he didn't discover viruses. You know, it's just that when the cells, you know, they they never did any control experiments, so they, he couldn't prove that you know viruses exist. And, and, and so Stephen Lanka is saying nobody has isolated the virus, even up to, 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 to today. Uh, you know, and those, you know, things that they think are viruses are, you know, for example, exosomes or, you know, like, so, so there's, like, what I'm saying is that we Muslims, we really have to look at things very critically. Um, you know, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the terrain theory of, of, of medicine, you know, versus the germ theory, like, we have to really look. And I think that we have taken the wrong path because of the pharmaceutical industry. Definitely, we've taken the wrong path. Well, I, and, I agree um, with that part. The, the terrain yeah, theory and, makes and, more sense. And, and, and remember, but, like, but it's not, we, they're not ex- mutually sorry, exclusive. Yeah, yeah, the terrain theory and germ theory aren't entirely mutually exclusive. The terrain theory would just say that the germs that happen to cause the trouble do so because of a disruption in the terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you know, like uh, you know, there are different um, things. Like, say, for example, uh, Stephen Lank was saying that. They have misidentifying, for example, bacteriophages. They think that they attack viruses. Actually, bacteriophages are really a different form of the bacteria when there is a depletion in the environment. They're kind of shapeshifters, right? So, so, so you know, he has, he has a totally different take, take on this. And, uh, and, and I think that we need to really look at things very critically. Um, and um, uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of us, us Muslims, like me included, we just tend to just listen to the authority, you know, the scientific, so-called scientific authority, but we have to really question, you know, where is it coming from, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, but, but, you know, when we're listening to specialists talk about their field of specialization, which takes years and years before you're yeah. really up to speed to participate in that conversation, we have to kind of compare the arguments coming from one group of specialists and yeah. another group of specialists and try to figure out who's probably right. And and that does, some, you know, sometimes there can be groupthink bubbles that lead majorities of the academic specialists yeah, and yeah, scientists astray. And, and, and Kevin, you know, because my area of specialization is, you know, history of science and philosophy of science, you could say. And, you, you know, like, for how many centuries did we believe that everything went around the earth, right? Like geocentrism. And nobody really questioned it that much, right? And, and there were simple experiments and simple ways of thinking to show that this is not really true, that there's huge problems, right? And, and, and so, so similarly, in medicine as well, I think that we, 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 we've taken the wrong you know, uh, track, basically. 
But, um, you know, we live in the society where, you know, things are controlled by, you know, powerful groups, right? So, and they feed the media, right? So, and we just listen to them and, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's what's yeah, happening, right? I had Dean Radin on the show not too long ago saying that if the, uh, what he would call sort of psychic medicine, that is, uh, healing through paranormal abilities were yeah. developed to its, its natural sort of uh, level, uh, then, we wouldn't really need any uh, mechanical medicine anymore. And that's a very radical statement, but he, he could very well be right. And, you know, that would be the ultimate sort of put down of Western medicine would be if indeed it turns out that psychic healing could almost entirely replace it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we should replace everything. And I'm not like making a blanket statement, but I'm saying that there are certain things which may be true and certain which may not be true. You know, so we just have to look at for the evidence. As the Quran says, Okay, if you believe in it, show me the evidence. That's all I'm saying, right? Yeah, Let's and of course, what the we, evidence, we may we may come to different conclusions about these areas that we're not experts in. For example, yeah. what little I've seen of the people, you know, the, the vi- virus deniers versus the virus affirmers. So mm. far, the virus affirmers looked to have a better case, probably, um, mm. and, and certainly with the COVID virus, the people who said it's never it's never been isolated. Well, the only way they can actually, it looks like, you know, based on my analysis of this, the only way they get there is by saying that no viruses have been isolated. And so, okay, so that's, you, so you can't say COVID, the COVID virus hasn't been isolated. You have to say that all viruses have been isolated. So then you're denying that viruses exist. And I guess I haven't looked deeply enough into yeah, that. No, no, please, you know, please sure, look at Stephen Lanka. And, you know, I, I wish we could interview him, uh, you know, because uh, Zishan was trying to see if we could interview him. Because um, he's been doing experiments since then to, to show that, like, what he's saying is correct. He's done some experiments, right, with um, controls, because they never do experiments with controls. So, um, so if if we can, I can get in touch with him. Maybe you can interview him. Sure. Yeah. If you send me his contact information, I would be interested in hearing that. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, you know, so I mean, he, he's still alive. He's not like Kerry Mullis, who died. You know, Kerry Mullis, the PCR guy, right? Right. Although I don't think he was denying the existence of viruses, was he? No, no, no. What he was saying was that the, the, he got a Nobel Prize for developing the PCR, and he said that the PCR, right. you cannot d- determine viruses from, from that. That's what he said. Right. But, but actually, he died I'm, in 2019. I'm, he died in 2019, right. and because he yeah, died, it was easy yeah. for them to just use the PCR. Right. On the other hand, when I've looked at his argument and those arguments of people who agree with him that the PCR is worthless, and then I look at the sort of 99.9% of everybody who actually deals in that field who disagree, I actually kind of lean towards, towards their, the disagree, you know, the 99% side there, okay. just, just because, uh, they, if you look at the details of, mm. uh, of what they're saying about the number of cycles and how you get yeah. this level of, um, of false positives and false negatives at this number right. of cycles and so on and so forth, you actually do the math on that stuff. And it sure looks like, there are these tests are far from as completely unreliable as somebody like Harry Mullis would seem to be suggesting. So you can't even you can't identify viruses at all with it. It it doesn't look like that's the case. And 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 the people arguing that it, they seem to end up falling into incoherence. But um, that's just my impression. Yeah, no, no. So you know what I'm going to do because uh, the Stephen Lanka wrote a, pa- a paper, so I'm going to send that to you. Okay, yeah. So in, 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 paper, in, maybe in the book Equilibrium, I did have to talk about viruses, but in the footnote I said that there's this, still this issue now about the ontology of viruses, and I can't discuss this in detail in the book. But I'm going to send you a paper and then just go through it. 
and okay. uh, you know. So, and, sounds and good. Yeah, well, that, that would be interesting if it were if that were the case. Then viral and so on would just be a metaphor with no reality that, to be based on. Exactly. <laughs> Everything's going going viral. You know, it, it, that's kind of the big metaphor of the computer age. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, like. <laughs> So, so anyway, it's good to keep an open mind and, and check, you know, like things and, uh, you know, counter arguments and, uh, you know, um, because the, the main thing is, is to find out what the truth is. And so we shouldn't be scared of looking at anything, right? And, and challenge our preconceptions, like me challenging mine, you challenging your, like everybody listening here, we have to do that, right? Because, yeah. This is Truth You Have Radio, back in the next hour with Sander Hicks.